to keep herself awake. She said it was the only thing I could do uh, to keep myself energetic, so I would just continuously sing. Uh, This morning, we come to this psalm, Psalm 130, and we find the sentiment where the psalmist is describing metaphorically how he is stuck at sea. And interestingly, he is stuck at sea, and he is even singing uh, this psalm of ascent, describing the scenario where he is crying out of the depths. In verse number one, we see that he's crying out from the depths and describing how he is uh, stuck in an undesirable uh, situation. In fact, the only other time that this verbiage is used in scripture is describing the story of Jonah. How many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah this morning? Uh, Jonah said this in Jonah chapter two, verse number five, uh, the waters compass me about even to the soul. Uh, the depth closed me round uh, about the depth, the, the same word that the psalmist used, the depth closed me round about. Uh, the weeds were wrapped about my head. And when I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, the earth with her bars was about me forever. He was saying, Jonah was saying, it was like I was imprisoned at the bottom of the ocean. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. And so Jonah and the psalmist had something in common. They knew what it was like to find themselves in the depths of despair. Jonah and the psalmist understood what it was like to be separated, to be alienated from God because of sin. And I want you to know today that that is a picture of what sin does. Sin separates us. Sin alienates us from God. Sin is like a weight that drags us down to the depths of despair. But there is good news today. If you find yourself in a situation that you are navigating the depths of discouragement or the depths of depression today or the depths of anxiety, if you find yourself navigating the depths, just know that even there, God can still hear you. That even there, when you are confused and lost, and if you feel burnt out and feel like nobody understands what you're going through, just know that the psalmist said, God, would you be attentive to my prayer? And he cried out from the depths, and the Lord heard him. And so today we have this confidence. Psalm 69, verse number one says, Save me, O God. Don't you love simple prayers? Sometimes we can try to impress other people by waxing eloquent in our prayers, but the Bible is filled with simple prayers. God, save me. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail when I wait for my God. We can cry out to God even in the depths. Uh, Several years ago, uh, I went scuba diving. And in order to go scuba diving, you have to take a class and you have to kind of get acclimated. And uh, they want to teach you certain things about uh, scuba diving and what to do in certain situations. Uh, For example, if you are descending down your 40 feet uh, in the ocean and you get water all in your goggles, how are you going to respond in that moment? What are you going to do? How many of you would say, that's like my worst nightmare if that happened to me, water in my goggles uh, down in the ocean. And uh, they teach you all kinds of hand signals and and things that you should say. Uh, they taught us this hand signal uh, to give to another scuba diver. Does anybody know what this means? It means turtle. <laughs> it means I saw a turtle. And so uh, if you see a turtle, you can hold this tee up. There it is. And you can be happy uh, that you saw a turtle. So there's all kinds of uh, hand signals. This means I'm doing okay. This means I want to descend up. This means I want to descend down. And so they taught us all these things. But the most important thing that they taught us scuba diving is how to equalize the pressure in your ears. 
Because when you are descending to the depths and, and that weight is crushing upon you, it becomes unbearable for your ears. The pain is magnified. It's intensified in your ears. And so they teach you this technique to kind of hold your nose and blow out so that you can equalize the pressure when you are navigating the depths. And I believe that is what Psalm 130 does for a follower of Jesus, that we can learn to handle the pressure, that we can learn to equalize the pressure and not run from our problems, but handle them according to the word of God. We have a choice to Today, we can either handle, we can either cave to the pressure and give in, or we can rise to the occasion. Because I want you to know that even when you are navigating the depths, just know that God designed you for the heights. The Bible puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3. If you are then risen with Christ, uh, set your affection, seek those things that are above. And so when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have an elevated perspective that we don't just think on earthly temporary things, but we set our affection on things above, on eternal things, on heavenly things, because that's what God has designed us for. And so I'm so thankful today that we can look to chapters like this in Psalm 130 and learn how we can handle the pressure of navigating the depths. And so today what I want to do is I want to give us four survival essentials to navigate the depths. Would that be okay today? Everybody's tracking with me this morning. Four survival essentials uh, to navigating the depths. The first essential is this, guidance. We need guidance. Now notice the text in uh, Psalm 130. We're going to start in verse number one. It says this, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive. Everybody say attentive. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. I find it interesting that the psalmist here does not ask God to answer his prayer. He asks God to be attentive to his prayer. Charles Spurgeon put it this way on this verse. He said, it is better for our prayer to be heard than answered. If the Lord were to make an absolute promise to answer all of our requests, it might be rather a curse than a blessing. And so here the psalmist is saying, God, would you be attentive to my prayer? God, would you lean in? This was a prayer for help. This was a prayer for guidance. God, I'm navigating the depths. I'm hurting. I'm broken. I'm confused. I'm lost. I'm discouraged. But God, would you guide me? Would you lead me? Would you show me the way that you want me to go? Uh, how many of you would say that you are good with directions? Can I see your hands? How many of you would say not good with directions? How about, how about you? Uh, you know, today we have, we have a plethora of apps and options when it comes to navigating our life, right? We have Apple Maps, Google Maps. How many of you use Waze? Anybody use Waze, right? And we have so many. What did we do before all of these things? Uh, do you remember MapQuest? Yeah. MapQuest, you had to type in the address. You had to actually have a printer, and you had to print that out. And if it was a long drive, you had to staple that thing together, and you're constantly going through that. Uh, before MapQuest, there was a good old-fashioned Thomas guy. Just pull out the map, and you got to uh, figure out which way to go. Uh, now we have a plethora of options. We can use uh, Google Maps and Apple Maps, and we can find which way uh, that, that we need to go. But here's the question that I want us to consider today. When you are lost spiritually... When you are trying to find your way spiritually, when you're searching for direction in life, when you're searching for guidance in life, where do you turn for guidance? Because so often we know the right answer in our heads as followers of Jesus. We know what we're supposed to say, but the reality is, is we are searching for guidance in all the wrong places. And here what the psalmist does is from the depths, he cries out to the Lord, and he cries out to the Lord for help from the depths. Uh, the Bible says this in John 16, 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has come. He will, watch this promise, he will guide you into all truth. 
Now, this is great news for anyone today that is searching for direction, anyone that wants clarity in life. When you are filled with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to guide you into all truth. We have something far better than Waze, far better than Apple Maps, far better than Google Maps. We have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God, and the Bible promises that he will guide us into all truth. And so today, if you are looking for guidance, we have to be looking to his word. We have to be filled with his spirit. And we have to cry out to him in prayer to show us the way. In fact, Psalm 25, verse number 4 says this. Show me thy ways. Everybody say, thy ways. Show me thy ways. I don't want to just know my way and what I think I should do. Not my friend's way and what he thinks I should do or what she thinks I should do. God, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. Uh, Teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation, on thee do I wait all the day. Have you ever noticed that when you're hurting, you attract all kinds of counselors? When you're broken, when you're going through a difficult season, a lot of times you will attract all kinds of opinions. All kinds of people that want to tell you, here's what I would do, and here's what I think you should do. And if I was in your shoes and the way I see it, and we will attract all kinds of opinions. And we have to be very careful when we're searching for guidance that we're listening to the right voices. In fact, uh, just to help me out, Cole and Madeline, would you come up here for a second? Let's give it up for Cole and Madeline this morning. They didn't know that I was going to call on them, but just kind of keep them on their toes a little bit. And uh, Madeline, if you can stand right here, and uh, Cole, if you can stand right here. Now, out of you two, which one's the better artist? I heard Madeline. I'm going to go with Madeline. So, uh, Cole, if you can hold that paper on the top. And Madeline, if you could hold this painting. Madeline's going to be our artist. And so you can stand right here. And uh, this morning, I brought with me a Van Gogh. It's true. It's not an original, but it's a Van Gogh. And uh, this is called the Almond Blossom. It's one of his most famous paintings. And uh, he painted this in 1890 uh, at the birth of his nephew. And uh, he painted this, and he painted it from uh, a perspective of lying down on the ground and looking up at the branches. One of his most, most famous paintings. Now, often in life, when we are seeking to get counsel and guidance, it's as though we're listening to the artist. An artist loves to describe the world as they see it. An artist loves to talk about the features, and here's what I think, and here's the emotion that I uh, bring to this. And, and if you look at it from my perspective, and my truth is this, and, and uh, uh, the emotion and the feeling, this is the way that I see it. And often when we are receiving counsel and guidance, we're listening to so many voices that are telling us the way that they see things. But rather than listening to the artist, what we actually need is, if you can open this up, we need not to get guidance from the artist, but what we need is an eye specialist, Because an eye specialist does not tell us the world as they see it. An eye specialist will help us see the world as it actually is. An eye specialist will help us see clearly. And so what I'm trying to say today is when we are searching for guidance, we can't just listen to the artist saying, here's what I think, and this is what I think, and this is how I see it. We have to go and find clarity that comes from God's word so that we can see the world as it actually is. I'm thankful that Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When there is purity in our lives, then there can be clarity in our lives. And today, when you are searching for direction, when you are searching for guidance, we have to go to the word of God so that we can have a biblical worldview to see the world as God designed it. And so when you are searching for guidance, where are you looking? Who are you listening to? And so we have to understand today, the psalmist was crying out from the depths to the Lord. Uh, Let's give it up for Cole and Madeline today. Thank you so much. You can take the Van Gogh with you. 
Isaiah chapter 48, verse number 17 says this. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you, leads you by the way that you should go. Did you know there is a way that you should go? That, that God has a plan for you, that God has a design, that God has a direction that he wants you to step in. And so we are to cry out for guidance, okay? Here's the second thought today. You ready for number two? Not only guidance, but we need confidence. We need confidence. Now, we're gonna see where the source of our confidence comes from because you might not be feeling confident today, but hopefully by the end of this, you will leave with a renewed sense of confidence. Notice verse number three. Everybody with me today? Verse three says this. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? The psalmist says, God, if you're going to mark iniquities, the word mark literally means to, it's literally rendered to keep or to watch. So to, to, if you're going to keep uh, our iniquities. In other words, God, if you're going to keep a list of all of our sins, if you're going to keep a record of all of the wrong thoughts that I've ever had, all the wrong deeds that I've ever done, God, if you're going to keep a list like that, who will stand? The answer is no one. The answer is we're all guilty. The other day we had music playing. It was just on Apple Music. It was just kind of in the background. Uh, we weren't really listening, but there was a song came on. There was a lyric that came up, and the lyric said, we're all just broken people, and we don't know why. And I heard that lyric, and I paused it, and I told Katie, and I said, we do know why. But we know why we're broken people. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse number 12, the Bible says this, wherefore, as by one man, that one man is Adam, uh, by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. See, we are all broken people because we were born in Adam. We were born with a sin nature. That sin nature separated us from God. And the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so to answer the psalmist's question, God, who can stand before you? If you're going to keep track of all of our sins, who can stand confidently before you? No one. We are all guilty. We're guilty. We stand before a holy God, a holy judge. We're guilty. The question is, how do we handle that guilt? Because today we live in a world where people are so often uh, being, being imprisoned by guilt. Guilt so often is holding us back from, from the future that God has for us. We're trying to move forward, but we're, we're wearing that straight jacket of guilt, and it's just holding us back, that guilt and that shame. And so how do we handle guilt? How do we respond to this accusation of guilty? Well, in our world today, there's three common ways uh, that you can respond to guilt. Are you ready for them this morning? The first way is denying. Many people will deny wrongdoing. I didn't do anything. I'm pretty good. I'm a generally good person. I try to do my best. I try to be kind. I try to be loving. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like that? I'm just doing my best, and, I, and I'm trying to be a good person to the best of my ability. And so some people will deny any wrongdoing to, just, to, to, to make themselves feel better. Uh, the second category is not denying. It's justifying. It's, it's where someone will acknowledge wrongdoing. I know that I've done wrong. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've messed up. Uh, but it's because of my parents. It's because of the house that I grew up in. It's because of my family. You don't know how bad my family is. And it's because I didn't have a good education. I didn't have a strong upbringing. And, and uh, yeah, I've done wrong, but they justify their guilt. They justify their sin because they say it's someone else's fault. And so there's denying, there's justifying. The third category, the third way that many people deal with guilt is comparing. It's, yeah, I've done wrong, 
but compared to that person, not that bad. And uh, yeah, I've made some mistakes. I've fallen short, but compared to what they're doing over there, I look like a saint. I'm doing pretty good. And so we can deny, we can justify, we compare, but I'm here today to tell you that there's a better way. I'm here today to tell you that there is a better way that the world and we as human beings can handle the guilt. Are you interested? Notice what the Bible says in verse number four. But there is forgiveness with thee. There is forgiveness with thee. There is a better way to deal with sin and to deal with guilt. And that is to acknowledge it, to confess it, and to receive the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so today when we stand guilty uh, before a holy God and because of our sin that separates us from God and we feel as though there's the weight of sin uh, keeping us down in the depths, we understand that Jesus went to the cross and he died in your place and he died in my place so that we might stand forgiven, so that we might stand redeemed. And so today we can have confidence in this. We are forgiven. You might feel as though you are ready to give up. You might feel like you are at your wit's end. You are down in the depths. You are discouraged. You might feel like you are just ready to give up on life. You're depressed, discouraged. Nobody knows what you're going through. And I'm telling you, even in that moment, you can be confident that God loves you, that he created you, that he called you, that he chose you, that he accepted you, that he wants to forgive you. He wants to give you uh, the best life possible. You can have confidence even when you're in the depths. That takes faith, to have confidence even when you can't see it, even when it doesn't quite make sense to you, even when you can't uh, walk in the light, but trusting and believing that God still has a plan for you. By the way, that, that damning document that the psalmist refers to of our sin, it existed. That record of wrongdoing, the Bible talks about that in Colossians. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Everybody with me? He says this, and you being dead, in your trespasses and sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that damning document, that record of wrong that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Is anybody thankful today that Jesus took that document and he nailed it to the cross? And so you can stand with that kind of confidence today before a holy God. We do not stand guilty and condemned. We stand righteous and redeemed because of Jesus Christ. And so when we're navigating the depths. We need guidance, but we need that confidence that comes from love and the forgiveness that is available through Jesus Christ. James Montgomery Boy said this, you may not find forgiveness with other people. Your husband or wife may not forgive you if you have wronged him or her. Your children may not forgive you. Your coworkers may not forgive you. You may not even be able to forgive yourself. There is one who will, and that one is God. Right down where you can see and reflect on it often, our God is a forgiving God. Have you ever had a relationship with someone and you weren't sure where you stood in that relationship? Uh, maybe in, with a family member, are they mad at me? Are they not mad at me? Maybe in a dating relationship, do they love me? Do I, how much do I love them? And I remember when Kate and I were first getting to know each other, I knew that I liked her, but I was just trying to figure out if she liked me. You know, I was pretty sure that she liked me. I mean, I was fairly confident. I mean, why wouldn't she like me, you know? Uh, but I was trying to figure that out. And so I was constantly talking to her friends. 
hey, has she said anything about me recently? And uh, what did she say? Oh, she said that. Okay, very, you know. And I'm constantly trying to figure out where do we stand in this relationship. When it comes to your relationship with God, you can be confident where you stand. You stand redeemed, forgiven, loved, accepted. And so often the devil wants to jump on our back when we're down in the depths, and he wants to say, you're not good enough. Look, you messed up again. Look, you broke your word again. You went back on that commitment again. You're never going to get victory. You're never going to make this right. No one's ever going to believe you. No one's ever going to understand you. He is the accuser of the, of, of the brethren. He's going to accuse us. He's going to constantly attack us. But we have to know today that we stand redeemed and we can be confident uh, in the forgiveness that God has for us. And so today, uh, guidance, uh, confidence. Here's the third thing today, if you're taking notes. The third survival essential is patience. We need patience. Now, I want to pick up the text back in verse number five. It says this, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in his word, do I hope. Now, remember, in the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of good. It's not just wishful thinking. It's the confident expectation of good. Where do we have this kind of hope? In the word of God. Okay. So in his word, do I hope. Verse number six, my soul waits for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Now, what the psalmist is doing here is he's painting this picture of a guard or a watchman, uh, a security guard, someone that is uh, watching in the night, making sure that no one is going to attack uh, the city, someone that's guarding the city gates, the city walls, and they're constantly scanning the horizons for the light of day, for a new day dawning. And he's saying, you are to watch and to wait uh, for the Lord to work in your life. Uh, In the ancient city of Sardis, uh, two different times, uh, the city of Sardis was attacked because the watchman of the city fell asleep in the night, and they were attacked. And it's with that in mind that we read the letter that Jesus wrote to the church that was in the city of Sardis, and Jesus says this, be watchful. He says, wake up, Make sure you're paying attention. Be watchful. Scan the horizons and strengthen the things which remain that thou art ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect or mature or complete before God. So what was Jesus saying to the church of Sardis? Wake up. Don't just go through the motions. Don't fall asleep on what God is trying to do. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Have a sense of urgency. Uh, Make sure that you are scanning the horizons, that you are waiting on the Lord. And maybe today that's where you find yourself. Maybe today you're in a waiting moment. You're waiting for a test result to come back. Uh, You're waiting for a wayward child to return home. You're waiting for that next raise because you need it. Uh, You're waiting for that relationship to be restored. Maybe God has you in a waiting season. And I want to encourage you with the words of Isaiah. Isaiah talked about being in a waiting season, the prophet. And he said this in Isaiah chapter 50, verse number 11, verse number 10. He said, who is among you that fears the Lord? that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and hath no light. So here Isaiah is, is, is really speaking about walking and navigating the darkness and down in the depths and you don't know where to go and you're navigating this season. He says, let him trust in the name of the Lord, have faith and confidence in the name of the Lord and stay, everybody say stay, stay, wait, stay, be patient upon his God. And so he says, stay, remain calm, uh, be patient and wait on the Lord. But it was the next verse that I read that really caught my attention. In fact, the first time I read this verse, it was kind of confusing to me. I didn't understand it. I want you to see it. Verse number 11. Everybody with me? Anybody else with me? Notice verse number 11 of Isaiah 50. He says, Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire. 
and in the sparks that you have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. You shall lie down in sorrow. I read that and I thought, that doesn't make sense. That's confusing. If I'm navigating the night, if I can't see, if I'm walking in darkness, it's my natural human instinct to make a fire. I want to kindle a fire. I want to have those sparks, and I want to see light so I can see. And what Isaiah is saying is if you do that when you're in life and you're navigating the darkness and you're trying to make this fight, you're kindling a fire, he says you will lie down in sorrow. And I thought, why is that? And I believe what Isaiah the prophet is teaching us is this. When we are navigating the night and we're walking in darkness, be very careful that you are not relying on your own strength and trying to manufacture your own light. Be careful that you are not trying to get ahead of God and do something in your own strength rather than waiting upon the light of the Lord. So often we are busy trying to build our own little fire. We're trying to create our own little spark, create our own luck. We're trying to manufacture our own light rather than waiting on the Lord's timing. I've heard people say, you know, I don't know if I totally have a piece about this, but I'm just trying to, trying to figure this out. I guess I'm just going to uh, step forward and move out of here and do this, and I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this, and I don't totally have a piece. Be very careful that you don't get out ahead of God and manufacture your own sort of life. You know, I don't know. Uh, I know what the Bible says about, about giving, and I know what the Bible says about generosity, but uh, I'm feeling kind of financially constrained, and so I'm just going to kind of pull back on my, on my giving. I'm just going to kind of pull back on my generosity because i got to try to figure this out, and I need to pay my bills, and what we're doing is we're trying to create our own fire. And Isaiah says, if you try to create your own fire and create your own light, you're going to end up lying down in sorrow. And so rather than trying to manufacture your own light, we must wait and scan the horizons and be patient and wait upon the light that the Lord can bring into any situation because he is the light of the world and the light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so we wait on the light of the Lord. Now, that does not mean, to be clear, that does not mean that, that, that patience and waiting in life is resignation. It doesn't mean that we just sit down and do nothing. It doesn't mean we sit on our hands. Uh, biblical patience is not resignation. Biblical patience is anticipation. Where we're constantly looking, we're waiting, and while we're waiting, we're worshiping. While we're waiting, we're working. While we're waiting, we're serving. But we're waiting on the Lord's timing. This is what he's saying. Out of the depths, my soul is waiting and hoping in the Lord. And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. Do you have one more in you this morning? Number four is this. We need influence. Now, this psalm closes with a powerful picture of influence. I want you to see it in verse number seven. Let Israel, everybody say Israel. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel, everybody say Israel, from all his iniquities. And so here's what we have here in verses seven and eight. We have a transition from the psalmist describing what God did for him personally, his personal testimony in verses one through six. And now in verses seven and eight, he goes public. Now in verses seven and eight, he is imploring and crying out to all of Israel. In other words, he was saying, I'm so thankful for what God did for me. I'm so thankful that God can redeem me. I'm so thankful that he can bring me out of the depths. I'm so thankful that I stand redeemed and that I stand forgiven. And now... I want all Israel to know. I want all of Israel to be able to experience the love that I have experienced. Can I tell you today that the gospel that has come to you should then go through you? 
The love that you have experienced, the gospel that you have received shouldn't just stay with you. You should be spreading it and using your influence for good. Even when you are hurting, even when you are navigating the depths, pain is a platform to use to tell about the goodness of God. Uh, Pain is a platform to tell others about how God is still faithful in your life and God is still working in your life. And so the psalmist here makes this transition from the personal to the public. And he's saying, I want everybody to know what God has done for me. It's been said before, but you can either be a cul-de-sac where the gospel comes and stays, or you can be a conduit through which the gospel is spread. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a church that is characterized by cul-de-sac Christianity, where we are so thankful that the gospel has come to us, but we never share the gospel with anyone else. Can I tell you today that God created us and called us as Christians to be salt and light? In fact, before Jesus ascended up into heaven, he left us with what is called the Great Commission to go, to win, to baptize, to teach. Evangelism is not a gift for some. It's the command for all. All of us have been called to share our faith. I wonder, when was the last time you extended an invitation? Hey, join me in church. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, here's what Jesus has done in my life. I know that he can do it in your life. So often we are silent. And we are so quiet about the fact that God is working in our lives because we're afraid of stepping on people's toes. We're afraid of offending people in our lives. But now more than ever, the church needs to rise to the occasion and speak up and to speak out. Can I tell you, we have something to say. That we have the hope. We we have the purpose that people are searching for. It's found in Jesus Christ. And I wanna encourage you today, uh, just very practical from a pastor's heart today. I wanna encourage you this week, Think of some ways that you can invite someone to church. Think of some ways that you can bring someone with you. Maybe make a list, write down some people's names that are hurting, that are broken, and ask God to give you an opportunity to text them, to call them, to invite them. How many of you would say, you know, Matt, if if I thought about it, I could think of one person that could use an invitation to church. There's one person in my life, at least one, that I could extend an invitation to. How many of you would say, I can think of someone? I wanna encourage you, if you raise your hand, to go out of your way, to invite that person to come to church, to experience the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill said this, could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease in Zion with the world around you damned? I'm praying today that in some of our hearts that God would renew a sense of urgency, that we would wake up to the fact that there are people all around us on a daily basis that are dying and they're on their way to a terrible place called hell. I wish that I could stand before you today and say that hell is not real, but I cannot do that. When we die, there's a bend in the road. When we die, we will live on and we will either spend eternity in heaven with Christ or we will spend eternity apart from Christ in a terrible place called hell. And the only people that go to hell are those that reject Jesus. And today God has given us an assignment to go out and to compel them to come in. And this is what I see in the heart of the psalmist. He says, God has redeemed me, he's been so good. Now let all Israel know. He's using his influence for good. And so what do we need today? As we navigate the depths, we need guidance, cry out to the Lord. We need confidence, knowing that we stand forgiven. We need patience to wait and watch on the Lord. 
and we need influence to steward our pain for the glory of God and to point other people to him. And I want to read one last verse today before we are done. Notice verse number seven. Everybody still have their Bible open? Notice verse seven. He says, let Israel, watch this, hope in the Lord. The object of the hope is the Lord. He wasn't saying hope in something that the Lord will do even. Hope in the Lord. Please hear me. A lot of times in Christian circles, we start to focus on the gift rather than the giver of the gift. He says that our hope is in the Lord. There are millions of people today that are searching for hope. They're searching for answers. They're searching for purpose in life. They're they're searching for satisfaction. They're searching for fulfillment. And, And they are searching for water, but they are overlooking the well. Jesus is the only source for eternal purpose. He's the only uh, source for eternal fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And so we have to look to the giver of the gifts. And today, if you don't know him, today can be the day of salvation for you. You can experience what the psalmist talked about, the forgiveness of sins. You can be redeemed. I love how verse 7 and 8, he talks about redemption. It means to be bought back. You, you can be bought back and born into the family of God. You can have a new beginning, a fresh start. And so if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, today you can accept him. Uh, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is anybody thankful for that promise today? Whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online, you can be confident. There's a lot of things that we can be uncertain about in life, but for this one area, we can be confident that I stand redeemed and forgiven, that when I die, I know where I'm going. Bible says these things are written in 1 John 5 13 these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life we don't have to guess or hope or wonder we can know that we have a real relationship with the God that created us I'm going to close by reading one quote Charles Spurgeon said this about this passage in this psalm we hear of the pearl of redemption verses 7 and 8 perhaps the sweet singer would have never found that precious thing had he not been cast into the depths Pearls lie deep.